1: This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. I'm lucky that I was able to book this next guest for a lot of reasons, but most of all, because he's so busy, how he finds time in his schedule to do anything other than make films is absolutely incredible. His name is BJ McDonnell, and he has worked as a camera operator on 171 different projects and has directed movies like Hatchet 3 and the Slayer Repentless Trilogy. He is incredibly talented. He's worked on some awesome projects such as Top Gun Maverick, Malignant, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Zombieland, Double Tap, Ballers, The Nun, Rampage, The Disaster Artist, Animal Creation, Central Intelligence, Popstar, Never Stop Popping, Ant-Man, Avengers, Age of Ultron, The Interview, The Lone Survivor, This Is The End, Star Trek Into Darkness, Jack Reacher, The Walking Dead, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Zombie Roadkill, Hatchet 2, Jonah Hex, A Nightmare on Elm Street, McCruber, Halloween 2, and the list goes on and on and and on. I'm so lucky to be able to sit down and talk with BJ McDonald about his big influences, who it was that inspired him to become a filmmaker, what it's like working in the industry, both on smaller independent films like Hatchet 3, all the way up to massive productions like Avengers Age of Ultron. You're not going to miss one second of today's episode of Film Schooled. Here's my interview with BJ McDonald. BJ, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me yeah first off, I mean, this show, like I mentioned to you before we hit record, I really want to dive into who made the person sitting in front of me. What are the the influences? And I think it was actually on um, Joe Lynch and Adam, Green, Adam Green's podcast. They were talking about how your your life is kind of in service to your your childhood self. And uh, what was kind of the the first movie or show that kind of lit that that fire, that love for cinema when you were a kid?
0: Wow, I, I think maybe, and this is going to sound crazy, making my parents sound like awful people, but uh, I think, you know, I think I think times were different back when I was younger. Um, hmm. And I remember one of the biggest things for me was Escape from New York. Hmm. I remember seeing that on cable, and that was a huge thing for me, uh, because, just because it was so weird and different and so awesome. Um, with action and just scare and like, you know, had like had a bunch of cool elements to it. So I think that was a huge movie wise. That was a big, you know, influence to me and like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember my mm. grandfather took me to see that. And uh, that was a huge thing for me, too. So really, those kind of were my, you know, go to like that's that's what influenced me and got me you know, the spark going movie wise. Is, what yeah. I, is that are those are, are those
1: films. What was it? watching them the first time that kind of sparked your interest was it was it just how cool the characters are because you just mentioned two very interesting characters yeah Um, or was it was it just the film as a whole
0: i think i was well when i was in kindergarten i thought i was snake Pliskin. so if i got hurt i'd be walking around all trying to act tough um and that's again sounds terrible my my mom and dad let me watch those kind of movies when i was but but my family kind of we kind of I, I grew up in more of a film family, you hmm. know, like my grandfather was an actor. So my parents were a little more liberal towards things that I watched, even though, you know, I went to like a Christian school from kindergarten to eighth grade. But they were, you know, they were pretty cool with that. So I think the characters, you know, were a big influence for me um, and just watching the films kind of like the action you know the soundtracks. You know the scores. I'm and to this day, I'm still a huge you know score fan. I listen mm. to scores. I write. I listen to a bunch of you know movie scores. But I'm also a huge punk rock and metalhead. Um, so I have a very weird mixture of of things that I no. enjoy, like in that genre. I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's funny. No, I I grew up and my. I grew up in a Christian school as well actually that's really funny um and uh I was huge in Indiana Jones super yeah. super young and I was I was walking around with my wife makes fun of me but I was walking around with the fedora and the leather jacket and thought I was super cool but there's oh, yeah. only uh there's only two people allowed to wear fedoras it's Harrison Ford and Johnny Depp and I'll I'll stick by, I'll stick by yeah. that um but yeah you mentioned you mentioned your grandfather and I thought that was really meaningful you mentioned him being one of the biggest influences on you. Did you grow up directly around him or was it something where you kind of just heard these, these cool stories?
0: No, he was a huge influence for me. Like when I was younger, he uh, like, you know, my parents, they were very working class. You know, my dad worked for them Mm. in the military base. He worked, you know, as a civil service uh, just building like screws for Apache helicopters and, and rockets um, and my mom was a nurse. So my grandfather and grandmother would take care of me and my sister a lot of the times, you know, because my parents worked a lot. So we were always spent a lot of time with them. Even our summers, I'd go out to, you know, California. Cause I grew up in, you know, in Florida, but I'd go to California and stay with my grandmother and grandfather. And they'd take me to like Arizona where my grandfather had a TV show called high chaparral at old Tucson. And, no. you know, he would, he'd walk around. He, and he was a big influence, you know, him and my grandmother, both were like, the biggest influence is in like, Hey, look, you don't have to go, you know, get a job as a firefighter or a doctor or a lawyer. Um, there is a whole nother world out there, a whole nother business that you can get into that's mm-hmm. creative, you know, whatever you want to do. Not like they said, Hey, you should get into this business, but they were more of like um, they, they opened, they broadened, you know, the horizons in a way that's I think some people sometimes can't wrap their head around. And when you're around, sure. Your grandfather and you go to film sets with him, you know, and he was older uh, then, so he was kind of like getting out of it at that point. Uh, but he would still do commercials, and like you know, people still would be like, "Hey, what's going on?" You know, when they yeah. see, um, and we'd go to like sets, and he we'd visit places. You know, it was it was a huge eye opener for me of like, okay, yeah, you can get into this business and you can make money at it, and uh, you know, do it. It's 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 hard to. There's a lot of people that I've actually tried to bring out to California too to get in the business, you know, not changing subjects off where we're on, but it's like a lot of people can't wrap their head around how we work because we're all freelance. We don't really have a, you know, we, we work job to job and it's really, it's all the friendships and, uh, you know, contacts that you make during a job and, and the people that you know is the biggest way of doing this. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people can't wrap their head around that. They're like, uh, I don't have a nine to five. I don't have a, you know, it's not. It's not a solid job that you always know you're going to go to. Mm. But once you break that and you, and you wrap your head around it, it's kind of great because, you know, you'll do a really awesome job and then you're off. And then you, you can take off as long as you want. You can go on a vacation for as long as you want. And then another job pops up and you take it and you just you can kind of jump around. It's it's uh, it's it's very cool. It's a very n- interesting and cool business to get into for that
1: reason. Right. too, right. Yeah, it's it's really unique too because a lot of people I listen to, I mean, just in general, if you I I co-host on a on a business podcast and you talk to so many people and there is usually whatever dream they have that they're successful in now, they were surrounded by family who were saying, Go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go get that safe nine to five. And so you have a really unique background of having somebody say, like, this is possible, like being a creative is not something fun to do on the weekend. It's yeah. your nine to five and um, do you remember any any advice or anything specific that your your grandfather ever told you that's kind of stuck with you throughout your career
0: um, he it's not so much the advice he gave me it was just the things that he would teach me like okay hey you know you want to surf let's take you to the beach mm. and, and you and let's show you how to surf you know you want to ride bmx bikes let's do that oh you like this kind of music well let's explore that Mm -hmm. let's you know let's get you some albums let's do that stuff it was you know he he passed away when i was in fifth grade um but still i remember him very well and being around him a lot my grandmother lived a lot longer she really was more of like she kept driving me to go do what i wanted to do my mom was always being like hey you know what are you going to do when you get out of high school? You know, you should be a firefighter. You'd be great at that. Or you should. And she was more of like the go to college, get your, yeah. uh, you know, get go do a normal, you know, kind of job that a lot of people go do. And I, you know, I, you know, out of high school, I had a, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I mean, I was always making like home movies and like short films with my friends, you know, even in school, I'd make like short film projects and we'd show those things, but it never like, It was never a thing where I was like, okay, am I going to do this for a career? Hmm. So I ended up being in a punk rock band for about five, six years. And I toured with the punk rock band. Um, And that's kind of what I wanted to do for a while. Yeah. When that kind of went away, I just was sitting there in my hometown where I was growing up. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do now. You know, like, what am I going to do? You know, now the band is done. And I said, you know what, screw it, man. I'm going to, I'm just going to go to LA. And I went to LA. My grandmother was like, yeah, do that, man. She's like, you, you know, follow your dreams I support it, you know, whatever you do, I'll, I'll loan you the money, but you got to pay me back. (laughs) And, and, you know, so I had, she gave me money for college and then I would give her the money back or she'd help me out with gear and I'd have to pay her back. So, you know, it was, it was a, it was really great that she pushed me into going to film school and I went to film school and then I started, you know, working as a grip with my buddy who was already a grip. And that was a good thing is like, once you got into once you, you know have a friend who does it, it was an easier way to get in because that's right. the hardest part is figuring out how am I going to get into this business and what area am I going to work in? A lot of people go as, as a PA or something, but I ended up going straight in as a grip and learning how to do that. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it was great. Taught me a lot.
1: What well, was a yeah. friend? It was a friend from another band that had moved out, right? Like uh, just right before you. Yeah. So he kind of did what you're doing now, trying to pull people out to, to LA, get started. I did. Um,
0: yeah. My friend, he was in another band in uh, Fairhope, Alabama. Yeah. And he moved to Richmond, Virginia and started working out there as a grip. And then I went to film school in LA. He decided to move to LA. And by the time I got to film school, he's like, just come on man! I'll teach you all the stuff. And I was like, Brad, get me in there let's go. And that's, that's how it all started. And it just took off from there.
1: What did you, what's your takeaway from film school? I've heard you talk a little bit about it, but I'm always, it, it seems like this is also something that's a split opinion. You know, you have Tarantinos that are, I didn't go to film school. I went to films. Then you've got other people that swear by it. You know, they say, you know, film school is the reason I have all the connections. I have all the knowledge that I have. Where did you kind of fall with your experience with it? I mean, film school did nothing for me, Hmm. honestly, like it really didn't.
0: Um, I have a degree in film, which no one ever asks you know, I I a,
1: check your card at the, at the gate. Yeah. Where's your diploma? I, don't even know.
0: I have a college degree for, you know, for cinema. And I couldn't even tell you where that thing is sitting mm. right now. Like my, you know, when I graduate, I put it in like a safe deposit box price probably there. Nobody asks about that. I think it depends on, on where you want to go. If, yeah. if it's going to be you know beneficial for you, if you're going to be a crew member, you know uh, not like, you know, um, like you want to be a grip or camera or, you know, you want to get into costumes or set design. I think it's just, I think it's a waste of money, honestly, mm. by going to film school because they don't teach you a lot of that stuff. They, it's like theory and things like that. Um, editing, I would say go to film school because it gets you, you know, you can get in, get on a machine and you can learn how to right. do that kind of stuff. That's a great way to do that. Um, but if you want to be like on a set working, I think, it, I think just go work. You know, I, I, I right. probably could have made a really cool short film with the money that I spent <laughs> going, going to, you know, college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you go to a big school, like I went to Los Angeles City College because I couldn't afford it. I couldn't go to Mm. UCLA. I couldn't go to USC. I couldn't afford those things. And, you know, I did, I've met a couple people that went to AFI that have gone pretty big and yeah, they get connections there. The bigger schools, I think, you know, maybe you get that just, it really depends on where you go, what you can afford or, you know, who you meet Mm. and you can meet, you can meet somebody at LACC where I went that, you know, takes off. You just never know. Sure. Sure. Producers, you know, that's, there's a lot of like contract stuff you got to learn. And maybe you learn that stuff in film school. You know, I, I, that my take on it is it it depends on where you want to go spend. If you want to be a director or you want to, you know, like I said, set design or, or makeup effects or things like that, go work, you know, save Mm -hmm. your money, go take the money you are going to spend on school, you know, make a short film or, or, you know, Go intern somewhere to makeup place and learn all the all all the uh, makeup effects like latex sure. and stuff like you know it just, it kind of depends on what you want to do
1: or where you yeah. want to go. Yeah, no, I heard you on on another podcast and you were talking a little bit about that. And you said if your family's willing to spend forty thousand dollars on you to go to film school, have them get you an apartment and pay your rent, and then go get a job on a film set. I thought that was oh, a yeah. uh, Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh, you talked about all the different things you can choose to be, you know, if you want to be a director, if you want to be this, um, you know, you, you mentioned two movies that have a very distinct visual style. Um, did you have in your mind, I want to be, uh, behind the camera. Did you have in mind that I wanted to be a director? What was the role or did you just know, I want to be in movies and I'll figure it out as I get started.
0: Well, because I always did short films with my friends in Florida, I always wanted to to direct. I enjoyed mm-hmm. doing that. I enjoyed like writing little short films and then getting my friends together, and we just make these stupid movies, like blowing you know things up with fireworks and shit. Um, and I I always wanted to do that. I, I would always act in them too, and I realized I was like the worst actor on the planet. So I knew that being in front of the camera for me was like not cool. Plus, I I don't have the the face for it. So I. Uh, I always enjoyed directing. I always enjoyed like putting the things together and doing that. So that's what I want, went to California to do. Mm. And that's what I, you know, went to film school to do. Cause again, I didn't know how to get started. That's why I went. To sure. Film. So when I got in as a grip, I started, I finally getting in, I, I started realizing all the different departments and like what people were doing and like, Oh, that person does that. Or that person does this. You learn a set etiquette also of like how things work and how things run on a set, which I think is very important for anybody mm that goes into the filmmaking process is set etiquette is a very important thing that you need to, to know because you know, it's, it's a whole, it's every day. You got to work around certain people, learn what's right, what's wrong. Stayed out, staying out of actor's eye lines, things like that. Um, so when I got in as a grip, I started pushing the dolly with the camera operators um, and I still, you know, I want to direct, I want to direct. That was still my thing. But, I got into working with the operators, doing dolly moves, uh, and working with them, and so that really got my interest in becoming a camera operator. So my grip career was pretty short lived. I I didn't do it too long, and I just went right into you know trying to do camera operating. So I got jobs on student films where I knew I could mess up and not like get like blacklisted. You know what I mean? Sure. If I could mess up on those things, and it would be okay. So I did that for a while, and then I started getting smaller projects, independent projects as an operator. And then uh, again, I started meeting people on these projects. They would get a bigger job. They say, "Hey, I met this guy BJ. He's really cool." And then they'd bring, they'd like, you should give him a chance. They'd bring me on, and I. It's just kind of that it starts snowballing in that way, which took me away from wanting to direct. And more into my career as a camera operator because you are you you see at first what you're doing you're also in control of the framing you're in control of, like what happens everyone that goes to see a movie on screen is seeing your work it's yeah. your it's what you do it's your instincts of what's going to happen but actor runs that way instinct will be you know you're the one in control of the motion of the camera framing setting up the shots you know it's very engaging and it's very rewarding you know mm. seeing a movie at the end when you've put your you know Blood, sweat, and tears into it, um, and it pays well, you know. Yeah. And so it really, and it take it took me all over. It's taken me all over the world, yeah. and uh, it's it was like the best decision ever. It took me off my directing path, but I I ain't bummed about it, and I love both. I love directing and camera operating. They're, they're, sure. they're, it's they're great careers.
1: Sure. D- during that formative time for you, you know, it it was. I mean films changed so much just in the last, last couple of years, you know, accessibility to equipment, I know is huge. Yeah. That's something you've mentioned before. Um, yeah. You know, you're, are expensive, how expensive equipment is getting on a set was when you got access to all this cool stuff, you don't have people flying drones around and running around with yeah. movies. And, you know, it's, it's a really interesting way to cut your teeth because you're kind of have to do this slow. Like, can I get a project to learn this craft? Um, yeah. You know, whereas now, it's relatively accessible. Like when I was, when I was in high school starting to get interested in this stuff, it was like, okay, I'll go get a mini DV camcorder. I'll get this, you know, uh, I'll go grab a micro SD card and shoot for an hour, you know, and like, there's, there's a lot of different options. Do you think there was a benefit to having that slow kind of learning process and having to take your time and be, you know, persistent about it? Or do you, do you wish you had the accessibility that people have now?
0: Um. uh, I think that when I got in and when I started doing it, cause I, I, I got into the film business when it was still really film based, you yeah. know, and digital was still starting to become a newer thing. So I learned the, the, um, proper etiquette and protocol of shooting with film where there, um, you know, you, when you shoot with film, there's a certain way to do it. Whereas now it's like, okay, we, it's digital. We can hit the record button and we can shoot a rehearsal. And if it's, if it's, sucks, then you know, we'll just do it again. But if it's awesome, we got it. Whereas film, you know, you had to follow certain guidelines. Uh we would, you know, get the actors in, let's rehearse it, let's lay down the marks, let's make sure that, you know, everything's laid out before we actually hit that button and the film starts rolling. Because when the film started rolling back then, that was just money. Everything yeah. you know, just, that's money going. So there was an there was a certain uh way to do things with films as they kind of you know, some shows still follow it. Some people still do it that way, but it, there's, it's, it's kind of a lost thing now. Like, you know, how, how it was, how film sets were kind of run. Yeah. Um, and I miss that a bit because I felt like it was a little more efficient. Um, mm. but you know, you have to change with the times and how everybody does things now. And, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah.
1: You know, do, um, do you have any opinion? Cause I know that like film and digital, again, there's a, a another, you know, disagreement that you often hear about and people f- bicker back and forth with. Yeah, you've worked on the camera with film and digital. You know, do you have any strong feelings about how one looks versus the other? Or is it more that having that those protocols, taking your time, being, you know, being more intentional with the camera?
0: Yeah, I. it's funny because like when digital started really coming in, I was more of like, oh, this is terrible. It was <laughs> a bummer. And uh, you know, it there, there was uh I, I was always like, ah, oh, films looks better, Film's so much better, you know, like, and I still think film looks awesome, you know, don't yeah. get me wrong, but I you know, directing wise, when you shoot a film, you know, you roll the film, you do the scene, you know, hey, was that in, was that in focus? Yeah, I think so. okay. You know, you ask an AC or whatever, if the, and you don't know until you get the dailies back. And by the yeah. time you get your dailies back after, after the film's in process, you're, you know, you're already on a day or two ahead. Yeah. And if, something's, if something came back out of focus, it's like, oh, God, you know, man, that's a bummer. Or like, we're going to have to reshoot that thing, you know, if you have time to do that. Digital now, what I love about that is that you can record, you know, what you're doing you can hit playback and have a playback guy like, you know, show you your shot and you can check to make sure that everything's in focus. Everything worked. If there was some crap in the shot or whatever that you didn't see before. And uh, yeah, it's, that's the, what I think is a great advantage of digital is being able to actually look at what you just recorded and knowing you've got it. And I think that digital overtime now has gotten so good with color timing and, and the colorists and the grain that you can add to the digital thing. Yeah. I mean, things look so much better now that there's now you, you know, the movies can look like film, you know, right. and it's, 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 uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell if was it shot on film or shot on digital. And, you know, you know, I think that's cool now I, where I was a, like a total film snob because I was part of that. Now I'm like, ah, digital's cool. You know, right. and I rarely see film, you know, anymore. I just, I went and day played on Spielberg's movie that he's doing right now. And I had a double take when I walked on set because I, I saw that, you know, all the camera cards. And I was like, Oh, Oh, we're shooting film. You know, yeah. which I, well, he shoots everything on film, but still was like, oh, wow, I haven't, you know, oh, I got to put my eye in the eyepiece now because I'm so used to now just using a monitor where it's right. me like, put your eye in the eyepiece, right. you know, and I kind of quit doing that for all these years.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, ar- arguably when digital did start coming, it did look really crappy <laughs> compared to film. Yeah. Like when you watch movies from, from that transition period, there was some sketchy stuff happening <laughs> with the look of some, some movies and, and now it really is like, I, I listened, I, I mentioned obviously Tarantino's opinions on it. Like I, I listened to his uh, comments on Roger Deakins with, with uh, digital cinematography. And I was just like, man, I just don't know if you can tell that clearly, you know, like I don't know how you watch skyfall and walk away going like, man, if that was shot on film, it would look a lot better. It's gotten really good.
0: And, yeah. and honestly, the thing that I think is really cool. And like you were talking about, like nowadays the accessibility of being able to get cameras and stuff is that, Hey, look, where When I got into it and film was so expensive, it was almost unobtainable for me to like really be able to do something, mm-hmm. you know, on my own. I would have to get the film camera and the, you know, all the stuff and, you know, the crew and everything where now people can just go out and buy a digital camera and they can make their own films. I mean, they, I couldn't do that when I got into it. Yeah. I'm a little jealous of this generation. coming <laughs> up. Honestly, now I'm getting older, but still it's like, uh, you know, the fact that you can now make your own movies and people are doing it, it's really impressive. You know, people at home, you know, you, people in small places where it's not like, oh, I have to move to Hollywood now to go make movies or learn. I got to move to New York to get into the film business. No, man, people, you do your own research, you know, you buy a camera, you go out and shoot, you, you know, learn editing on your computer, you know, now with like Final Cut or right. you know, Adobe Premiere or whatever. Um, you can just do it at home. And yeah. it's awesome you know, you get your buddies together and go. I couldn't do that back in my day. We were running around with VCR cameras with the, <laughs> the deck and the backpack, you know,
1: on sure. <laughs> well, so. it's, yeah, it's really cool how accessible, you know, like, and, and what opportunity there is. I think, you know, obviously there's issues that come with both, right. There's, there's all the gatekeepers that you have. If you're, if you're working, especially if you're pre 1970s, 1980s, if you're, in the early days, I mean you have one very specific gatekeeper. you have a producer at a studio that has to give you the right to do something. Yeah. you know as you move forward, it becomes less and less it's the gatekeeping is the money and now like yeah. really the the biggest gatekeeper is your own willingness to go out and pick up a camera and shoot <laughs> like that's pretty much it if if you If you have an iPhone, you can start shooting short films, which is just yeah absolutely insane
0: um yeah, you can it on your phone, you can edit it right on your phone.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and really now the only negative is there's such a saturation of movies, even, even mainstream, you know, where, you know, things get lost. There's really talented people that, that disappear, but I think overall, it's probably a positive that there's a chance, (laughs) there's a chance for everybody to kind of, kind of move forward. I'm curious, you know, being behind the camera. You know, I, I'm curious kind of the inspirations there. Um you mentioned where's Lost Ark, so I'm I'm guessing like Douglas Slocum, like his cinematography. Um, is there um are there a list of, you know, filmmakers, cinematographers that you would say really inspired your visual style or the way that you think about, you know, framing a shot or, or setting something up?
0: I like the old style, like like you know, Dean Cundy's movies that he did mm. with with uh, you know, with John Carpenter were huge for me, you know, Spielberg stuff was always really amazing, you know, and I I always, and it's funny because like, I'm not a huge, like, you know, throw the names around DP guys, you know, like, you know, it's, it's just fun with certain DPs that I get to work with. I've done movies that I usually like that. I love because I work with Dean and I, and every day at one I would sit there and I'd be like, So when you guys were doing the thing, <laughs> uh, and he would tell me all these cool stories. So it's really fun to actually like, you know, be able to sit there and then and then have these conversations with the person that actually shot the movies that I grew up loving. Yeah. You know, and they would tell me the stories about it, you know, and 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 give me all and like it's so funny because you you see the movies, you don't realize what a lot of people were going through in that time and then hmm. you hear all this stuff and you're like, Wow, man, that's like such a struggle to make that film or so, you know, or, or just all these cool stories. So I was last night, I was sitting with uh, the dolly grip that I'm working with on here. Who's a buddy uh, moose. And uh we were talking about Firestarter last night. And I was like, you mm. worked on Firestarter?" He's like, yeah. And they were like him and, and JP um uh, our AD on this movie. They were all, they were all just kind of reminiscing about some of these old older people that they knew and like laughing about the visual effects. Like, you know, these like, foam, styro- like these styrofoam balls that were on fire on cables. And they were like, yeah, if you keep watching, man, you'll see these cables in the shot. They just don't, you know, back then you didn't care
1: No, yeah. right, <laughs> so right. Kind of
0: fun with that. But yeah, I mean, cinematography wise, like it's funny. Cause as a kid, I, I was more, more interested in the directing in the director, mm. you know? And I guess the cinematography kind of came with that. And that's why like, I love John Carpenter's movies. I love Spielberg stuff. Uh, I love yeah. Wes Craven, you know, like, just movies like that was more about, you know, who was doing it. And I think that was more of my, my influence or things that I liked.
1: Uh, Who's putting the pieces together Uh, for, for Spielberg. Was it the, I mean, you, I mean, you were again, formative years were what a lot of people look to now is the nostalgia golden age of movie. I mean, you had Spielberg in his absolute prime for horror. You had slashers, you know, even though yeah. they were getting gutted near the end of the eighties. I mean, you had the, the slasher boom happening, um, yeah. you know, all of these different, all of these different films, like, was it those films that you were, you were watching consuming and were inspiring you, or was it going back to like early Spielberg? Was it going back to early John Carpenter? Like what, what period of their careers was, were you consuming and, and binging during that time?
0: Probably said the seventies and eighties, you know, cause I'm, I, I was born in 75 and, and like, you know, like I said, my parents let me watch all these crazy films, you know, like they were just, you know, they were, they were little.
1: cool. They were <laughs> cool parents. I
0: think they were cool, but a lot yeah. of them, like, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. This is, this is funny at my Christian school that I went to, which I grew up with the same 13 kids from like kindergarten to eighth grade. We
1: just same kind of, exact story. Yeah.
0: Right. So, I'll never forget we were playing hangman and I w- walked up to the chalkboard and I put all the things there and like, you know, all the other kids were, you know,
1: for this fourth
0: grade, all these kids are like doing all these like nice and happy movies. And I remember I was getting so frustrated because I was, I was like, all right, say this thing. No, that's not it. That's not it. And I, what I was spelling out on the, on the chalkboard behind me was escape from New York hmm. and uh, no one, none of the kids understood or had ever heard of this movie or saw it. And I'll never forget when no one, everybody just gave up and, the teacher's like, well, what, do, what was the movie you have on here for Hangman? And I was like, it's Escape from New York. And I'll never forget her going, oh, your parents let you watch that, huh? <laughs> and that was a big determining like, oh, ouch. Yeah. You know, like, right. yeah, I guess no, you guys don't. <laughs> That's and that wasn't the only movie. You know, I mean, like I watched I'm, I remember seeing Heavy Metal, the cartoon. And I remember when like, oh, wow. I melted that dude in the beginning, it was like, you know. <laughs> I was blown away by it because oh, as a kid, I saw this cartoon. I was like, oh, wow, it's kind of late. I'm a oh, it's a cartoon on HBO. And yeah. then it just goes bazonkers. And I watched the whole thing. You know, it was just kind of a crazy upbringing.
1: Yeah. And I watched like, the whole thing.
0: <laughs> you know, like nowadays, like you go to a playground for kids and it's like Nerf yeah. grounds and, and everything's bumper proof. Or we went to a playground. It was like boards with nails sticking out of them and like pipes. <laughs> you know, <Sure.
1: laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, and also, too, like you said, you, you've got. Family that understand, at least, I mean, family that's actually in the industry, but family that understands how it works. And, and I think there's, you know, I think we do a disservice by over-censoring kids when it comes to movies, you know. And, and even for me, I struggle between like, what level am I a bad parent? I start showing, I have, a, I have a four-year-old and I'm already like, it's Halloween time. And I'm like, all right, is she old enough to watch this or this? And, and you know, I, I think there is something to knowing how it's made, that softens the blow of a lot of this stuff. Like I remember, uh, I've tried to pinpoint when I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, because there's some scary stuff in that movie. That ending is amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, there is some scary stuff. But I, I mean, I was probably five or six when yeah. I watched that, which I don't know how that happened, but cool parents, I guess. And parents. but I remember my I remember my mom being like, "Oh, here's how they melt this guy's head, you know, and yeah. here's how they do this and." it's just fun like movies become really fun when you can start seeing when you can start seeing the wires pulling the special effect when you can start seeing how the pieces come together it yeah. it it kind of removes some of that like fear or or <laughs> however whatever it would be that people are scared kids are gonna become because of watching these um also too I mean you you mentioned some of the I know you say you don't want to name drop um so I can name drop a little bit for you but I mean you've gotten to work with, a lot of actors that you've you've seen on the screen and actually direct some of these actors like Sean Whalen, Caroline Williams, Zach Galligan, Daniel Harris, obviously um, Danny Trejo, like Sid Haig, like huge names, you know, and, and people that again, you grew up watching fanning over, um, you know, was it, was it difficult? Obviously you have your professional hat on and you're going in and saying like, okay, I need to get my shots and I need to, you know, make my day. But also you're sitting across from like Kane Hodder, you know, who like you watch throw people through TV sets and Friday the 13th, like, was there, how do you navigate that? Like, okay, I want to approach this person and, you know, thank them for the influence, but also I have to maintain this professional kind of level with them.
0: I don't think, I think because of, of once you get into the business, like I said, you get to a place where nothing, none of that really is important anymore. Mm. You know, maybe not important, but it's, it doesn't phase you anymore. Like you, it just, it becomes a job, you know, mm. in, in a way. And it's, I don't get awestruck. The only time I've ever got like actually like excited about meeting someone is I met Hans Zimmer mm. and, that's my, and that, and, and I met, and I was really like, that's the one time I was like, Oh my God. Cause I was, I'm such a fan of his scores and like the music yeah. for the movie and things like that that's when i i got really excited about him um but actors and directors and things. sure it's cool you know like especially if there's someone you really like you're like oh this is cool we're gonna work with them but i i, I treat them as as though i would treat anybody mm. you know in the world it's it's like you don't i don't need to i don't what's the word i'm looking for i don't really i don't get awestruck or like wow you were this person Ooh, yeah you know I get more, you know, like I talked about Dean Cundy, you know, I was more excited about the stories and how they did things. And sure. Well, cool, you know, but, you know, again, I, I, I talked to him just like, I would talk to my boss or like, yeah. and right. that's kind of how I maintain everything or I approach everything is that if I can maintain a friendly, just a friend, you know, friendly communication and just, you know, I can bullshit back and forth, you know, it's the way to go. It's just treat them like a human, you know? Right. Right. Because that's what they are. They're not yeah. anything. They're not above you. They're not below you. We're all the same here, you know. They've just been on shows, and you see their face a lot. They're just yeah. people, you know. We're all just people.
1: Well, it's kind of a, it's kind of cooler in a sense, and it, and it's a, and I appreciate the answer. I think that's really that's really cool, and it's something we talk about, you know, in the business world. You know, like there's people that approach, you know, these powerful, you know, business people, and they go to them, and they put themselves in this fan bucket. Where it's yeah. like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm in the same room with you, and there's something, there's something more powerful, definitely because a fan being in the fan bucket is a good way to get sent away, <laughs> but yeah. but also it's almost cooler to say this is my peer, like this is somebody that has however many years experience in the business, has worked on all of these incredible films, and not only am I in the same room with them, I'm working with them. There is yeah. that business relationship and. I think that's really neat. Like that's, that's cool to say like, oh, I got to talk to the guy that shot Halloween yeah, and ask him questions about the business that I also am in. That's yeah. a really, really cool perspective.
0: And it's, it's cool to actually talk to people about these things too. Like, especially like the older school guys that are like way before I was into it, there were like an influence of what I liked as a movie to be able to approach them. Like I did a movie called killer Joe with Billy Friedkin. And Caleb Deschanel was the DP on that, and we would go mm-hmm. to dinners. It would be me, Caleb, you know, my buddy Tommy, my wife, and uh, you know Billy, and we'd just sit there, and he would we we'd ask him like, "Hey, so how'd you do this in The Exorcist, or what did you guys do?" And he would tell us these cool stories, and that's the one, one cool thing about me you know, when you get when you get to work with some of these people is you hear the stories or you hear the the the, the hard things that they had to go through because you know people don't realize when you're making a film, you know. Things don't go right daily. (laughs) They don't. And, you know, you see critics and they talk about, oh, well, this could could have been better or that could have been better or this blah, blah, blah. You know, the thing is everybody just sees what gets put in front of you. They don't see what you had to go through that day. They don't see the hurricane that was blowing in and, you know, you guys had two hours to shoot before you had to evacuate or the thunderstorm that was coming and you're shooting at night and all the generators had to be shut down. You only got about an hour's worth of footage in an eight-hour day because the storm – you or a, a gag wasn't working right, or somebody was sick, and you know you don't see those things. And it's it's interesting to hear the stories, you know, when you and especially like movies you you grew up loving, and and uh, and it, it, you go, oh, what about this part? What what happened? How'd you guys do this? Oh, let me tell you about this thing. Oh, that didn't even work, or you know, or yeah. it was the first time it was great, and we couldn't even get it again. It's that's what I enjoy mostly about working with the people that I you know grew up loving in their movies.
1: You know? have, have you ever heard a story about a certain film that you grew up either really loving or maybe even one that you really disliked, but a story you heard about the behind the scenes changed how you viewed it moving forward?
0: Oh man, I know I have. I'm trying to <laughs> think, right. I mean, I've heard so many stories about how things have been like what things happen on sets or whatever, but right now I'm like, I'm totally drawing a blank with that question. <laughs> no, worries, um, no worries. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes. You hear things like that all the time, you know, yeah. and it's just fun in the moment. When you get it. I can't think of anything right now off the top of my head of how, you know, how things worked or didn't work. You know, no worries. I mean, a lot of movies I've worked on people go, how'd you guys do that? And I'm like, Oh, well, it was like this. And they're like, Oh really? That was it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I got to ask, I, I'm i a huge horror fan. Like that's, that's definitely my, genre like that's where i like to just immerse myself and you know it's been that way for a long time and um it's funny i was reading a i was reading a letterbox review of one of your of one of your projects and uh it was uh it was on the uh it was on the slayer uh repentless movie and it was uh it was a it was a negative review but it was really funny reading the statement so someone just said. This footage is nothing but a collection of the most outrageously brutal, gratuitous violence. If you're not a huge fan of bones being broken, necks being snapped, heads being cut off and eyes being gouged out, there's absolutely nothing to enjoy here. And (laughs) I I read that and thought this is the greatest promotional review for, for the project ever. I, I I absolutely love horror. Um, I, that's how I became aware of you was, was hatchet three. Um, and you know, that was your first real transition into, you know, directing a feature. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was yeah, a big, was, um, was there any trepidation moving into that? You know, this was something that was already a cult classic. It was had its own kind of notoriety and fan base. Was there any anxiety taking that on, like taking on a third, third movie like that?
0: It, you know, obviously day one is always you're nervous, you know, cause you want to do a good job. Um, uh, it was not, as bad for me, I think on that one, because I was part of one and two and yeah. I was buying the camera for, for both one and two. So it was more of like just going there and just getting the job done. I just wanted to make sure it looked different. I didn't want it to look like the other two. Yeah, uh, I wanted to change the visual style to, to it. Um, you know, and, and I did, you know, some of the things in the movie, I actually had an input on a lot, um, mm. like story-wise. Um, I just didn't didn't want it to look the same. I wanted to actually, you know, go a different aspect ratio. Uh, the actors, I, you know, I know I knew Kane on devil's rejects. That's where I met him. Yeah. Um, so I've known, I knew him before all that, all the hatchet stuff, you know, hmm. and, and, you know, we, we already knew each other at that point. Um, and I had worked with so many of the actors on that already, you know, Derek Mears, I met on MacGruber, you know, yeah. he was in that short little stint. And, uh, I love that guy. Um, Trejo, I've seen, I've worked with him like a trillion times, you know, with the Slayer stuff, you know, yeah. so it was, you know, he, it, it's, it wasn't bad Trey and not in the, the hatchet series, but um, it was more, it was easier for me on that one because it wasn't something I wasn't, a, you know, I was a part of it already. So I it was the
1: same of, crew mostly and same, mostly, same team. Yeah. yeah. Kind
0: of same uh, team. I a couple different people in, but yeah, it was, it was, it was still pretty much the same thing. I knew what kind of vibe we were going for, so I wanted to keep that kind of a vibe with the movie. You know, obviously, didn't want to change it too much, you know, because it, it already had a fan base to it. So, right, you know, it was that one. It was nice to transition that way because, you know, it wasn't me going in there blind.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's what stands out to me with with the Hatchet movies is the first one, second one, third one all feel cohesive but different. You know, the first one feels the first one. It is funny when you hear behind the scenes stories, like you realize the movie all is in one section of this area that they could keep lit and they just keep going in circles. You know, you can feel that small, it feels almost claustrophobic, even though they're in the middle of a huge swamp in the second one feels more
0: claustrophobic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the second one feels, you know, it's heavy. It's very, very heavy on the effects side and, and a lot of those gags. And then the third one, like that one feels very, big you know like there's a there's a very I, I put it on for a little bit last night again just and it's the one i find myself throwing on the most when i'm like working on something i'll just put it on and and look up and oh, that's super cool um but it's you know it's one of those things where like it just feels really 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 big um and there's a lot of lore to it um was that was that your big goal going into it cuz it feels like that was kind of the the push there
0: that was a huge part for me you know and it's funny cuz it looks bigger and it had the smaller of the budgets of all yeah. of them.
1: Well, that's um, why I, I wanted to ask that because uh, when I watch it, when I first watched the series, I thought they were the budgets were getting bigger because the movies looked better <laughs> moving forward. Um, <laughs> was it the smallest of the three
0: of the three? Yeah. I don't know what I, I have no idea what Victor Crowley is, but <clears throat> I uh, it was the smaller of the three for sure. it, mm. it was, you know, the budget was not big. The one thing that I think the way I did it and the way I approached it was because I had I have a different skill set of visual than Adam. Um, and that is because of my background as a camera operator and also being able to know how to how to open up the world a bit more, you know. My whole thing was let's go shoot actually in the swamp, which was super fricking difficult and hard and, and and like it's miserable. Um but I knew that if I could at least do that, that it would the movie would feel bigger, even though the budget was smaller. Also, hmm. my connections with Panavision, the people that I work with, you know, with, with Panavision, they're good friends of mine, you know, and they've helped me out. And everything I've done, those guys have backed me. And hmm. I, I chose the different aspect ratio, which makes it look bigger. I yeah. showed more of the open. We shot in an actual swamp. So you can actually open that world up and really see what, you know, like get the depth of the swamp. So you, 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 can light,
1: you, know, you can turn right and
0: there's stuff there. Right <laughs> and exactly. Um, the lenses alone, you know, like I shot with Panavision lenses, which that I, ours, that's the only one I ever shot with Panavision lenses. Um, and that makes a huge difference. Honestly, the glass that you use to make movies is very, very important. Cause it is the look of the film, you know, cause every lens has a different feel to it. So that was like, that was my huge goal. In that was just, I want to make this look like something different. I want it to open up and expand the world and be able to like, see what's going on or have the depth that we want to have, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, that was my, that's what I, that's what I really wanted to bring to the table in that. Cause I already right. knew what we were going to, I already knew what we were shooting. Yeah. You know, story wise, but let's just make sure this looks huge.
1: Right. You know? Right.
0: That was, that was a huge goal of mine.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah. Just even watching. Cause I love the intro. I love how sudden you got to pick up at a really exciting point, you know? So you're starting the film with this super gory opening and yeah. then it's funny, like watching the intro, you still got the cool, fast paced, you know, bloody letters and, you mm-hmm. know, the heavy metal background and stuff, but you've also got these super scenic shots of this yeah, swamp and the, and the locations. Swamp. And yeah. it it just hit me again, as I was specifically thinking about you in preparation for this, I was just like, man, this just feels so big. Like it feels like almost like, almost like these, almost like a Western, like those big landscapes, you know, in yeah. the, in the opening, which is, that which was, is super cool.
0: That was, ex- and that was it. Like, in, you know, I remember telling my buddy Eric when he was shooting the intro stuff and we were doing that, I was like, we just need to make this look big, you know, let's let the actor be far away. Let's let everything so, you know, confined. It's hard to work though, you know, in defense of the other ones, when you have such confined areas to make anything look big and you have to stay up close, you know, like it's, it's tough, you know, to to open up those worlds. And that's, that was a huge thing that I wanted to do with hatchet. And I'm really, I'm proud of that actually. I'm proud of the way it looks. And that was shot on a red one, like right when the ones were just coming out, we panted you know, it was a panted red one. So we could use the lenses on it, you know, their lenses on a red one. And, and uh, you know, that's like, it's still, that's very in the beginning of the digital times, you know, Mm -hmm. they've changed so much even since then. You know, and you look at the red one stuff now, and you're kind of like, ooh, you know, like, out. <laughs> right. But again, with color timing and and putting you know yeah. the film grain into the digital look, it, it's great. You know, it came out cool.
1: Yeah, it holds um, up holds up really well. Um, yeah. My my last question before I kind of move us into our our kind of rapid round here. Um, you know, it's you've wor- <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's going to be good. We're gonna we're gonna make it. Um, but uh, but you know, you've worked on. I mean, you've worked on projects with hatchet three budgets. You've also worked on sets with Marvel films. You've worked on, you know, huge budget productions. Do you feel, you know, do you feel like there's a, um, a certain angle you prefer? Do you prefer the small family crew setting? Or do you prefer when there's like three, four crews of hundreds of people with a massive budget, you know, is there, or, or is it all work work is work at the end of the day? No, it's
0: not really work. As work at the end of the day. The thing with Marvel is that usually those things to me, it's like, it's so planned out. Mm-hmm. Like it's so everything's so planned out. You have like pre you look at, you have the storyboards and it's just, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And there's so many hands in the cookie jar that, you know, control that. And look, that's the reason why they're they come out the way they do because they are like so prepped and mm-hmm. planned and they have the time. Time is a huge issue with making movies. You have, if you have so much time and such a budget Man, you can work on all sorts of cool stuff and make, you can spend a day in a, you know, or five days in a bathroom, you yeah. know, like Jack, the first Jack Reacher, I'll never forget. I, th- I think we spent four and a half, of maybe four days in just a bathroom shooting this fight sequence, you know, and because you have the time and you have the budget, you know, mm. the smaller films what I like to take away from doing those things is that you have to learn how to make it work. You have to gauge your time. You have to know like, okay, we have this amount of time to do this. So how are we going to do this? And you have to get very creative to make sure you can make your days or like what you're going to do. And you know, you're not going to have, you're not going to have time to do it. That's the thing. That's the thing with small budget movies is that, yeah, you don't have the money. You don't have the time, but if you get creative and you just, you know, plan it as best as you can, you can do that. My favorite area in budget wise are the 20 to $30 million movies hmm. um, because they're not, there's still a sense of like a family oriented, smaller budget there. And, but it's not so big that everybody, you know, it, it's so controlled, you know, yeah,
1: you don't have eyeballs from everywhere going like, yeah. okay, this is a hundred million dollar movie, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's the pressure alone. In those bigger ones, you're like, Oh my God. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, and, and it's not, you don't really get those movies anymore. It's like not, they're, they're rare. They're more rare than they used to be. But I love those kind of budgets because there's, it's like a mixture there. And, uh, you know, you yeah. still get to do what you want be creative with the director and the DP and, you know, the crew and the actors.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I, I know you're really bad at uh, these kind of quick fire rounds. But we're going to do our best. <laughs> so oh, I'm going yeah. to. I'm tired cliff-
0: too, man. I've been working all week, so I'm like, let's go. <laughs> I
1: know. I know. Yeah. You, um, yeah. You told me a little bit about your schedule, and I was looking through just your your list of movies. I was like, when does he sleep? Because these are. I'm like looking through IMDb, and I'm like, he can't have done all of these in this time frame. But um, so we're we're going to do our best, and uh, we'll okay. see what happens. And it might be right. a slightly slower, rapid round, but we'll go yeah, for it. Yeah, it might be slower. <laughs> um, If you were given the green light to remake any movie, what would you choose and why? Oh man,
0: I would do uh, Big Trouble in Little China.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: I just love that whole that whole world. I love you know the character um, of Jack Burton. I like you know the the three storms. I like you know. I just thought I just think that's a very cool film. You know, it would be hard to redo that one because that's such an awesome film the way it is. But it would be fun. You know, that'd be great to do something like
1: that. Yeah, that's probably my most revisited Carpenter. Um, it's just a, such a fun movie. Um, and what what do you think of? They, they're doing a remake with The Rock. What do you think of that? Are you interested in that, or are you kind of? I arrayed? love The Rock.
0: I mean, yeah. I think he's awesome. And 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 look, man, that guy that guy can do anything. He's so cool. So yeah, I guess game on. <laughs> <laughs> and you're available to direct
1: if needed. Uh, if you'll need. take
0: it over. Yeah, I will take that in a heartbeat. Let's go.
1: So, uh, what's on, a movie? Me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, yeah, definitely do that. Um, uh, what's a movie that your diehard fans would be surprised that you enjoy? Oh, geez, uh,
0: Die Hard one, maybe that's not a surprise one. <laughs> um, I think that's like the perfect action film, actually. Um, a
1: movie that my that fans would think, oh, geez, someone uh, steps out of Hatchet Three and goes, oh, he l- this guy loves. Pride and Prejudice, you know that would be a very shocking.
0: <laughs> Jeez, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's crazy. Like, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, like the older older films, like you know, Love, Forrest Gump. <laughs> that's an awesome <laughs> movie. My answer is like... going to be so, so boring.
1: <laughs> uh, what do you think is the best decade of film history? I love the eighties. Okay, cool. there's a,
0: there's a certain look to it that they that I there's a certain look to films, even the even like the comedies from back then that I don't think anyone can capture anymore. And I yeah. don't know if it was film stock or if it was just the way things were, I don't know, but there's, there's a feel to those films that I just, I think no one's really been able to like harness. Since yeah.
1: Then. yeah. Uh, what do you think is the worst decade of film history?
0: Ooh, that's tough. Um, I, I'd be more of an answering a music with that. And I would say nineties. Oh, really? <laughs> there's, Interesting. there's some good nineties movies, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm late nineties, I guess, I think, I don't know. Not
1: sure. Yeah. On that. Yeah. It's, it's a tra- I hadn't really thought about it. And I was, I was watching, uh, I was watching an interview recently with, with Tarantino. He was talking about, um, you know, he said the fifties was his least favorite period of movies. Cause it was so censored. And he said the eighties was like fifties part two. And I was like, but the eighties also gave us some of the coolest, you know, it would be hard for me to sacrifice, a lot in the in the 80s. I think the the early 80s for me is the coolest period because you yeah. still had the hardcore do whatever you want 70s era style, but yeah. you had the 80s aesthetic, and I think there's some really cool movies in that in that realm. Um, I also know.
0: think it's a part of who of when where you when you're growing up and yeah. where you're at. Same. what do you
1: look back on fondly and remember being cool and that's the
0: eighties, because that was a huge like we talked about earlier that's a big influence for me you know and funny. In a lot of people i think you know and, and now you see a lot of people trying to kind of copy the 80s feel and you know it's getting a little saturated but i i love i love those movies i love the way they look i love the way they feel you know they introduce us to a lot of awesome characters you know great stuff
1: yeah Definitely. Um, What is the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening to this interview?
0: That's neat. I think that's pretty easy. We kind of talked about that. I'd say just go out and do it, get a camera, you know, figure it out, you know, get your buddies together, go out and just make movies, learn the editing software you can get now. Um, If you want to do anything, you can do it. You know, don't think you can't do it. It's every, if you're, if you want to do it hard enough, you will make it, you know, you just have to, keep trying just go 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 and don't let anyone stop you or squash your dreams i mean i had people tell me oh another cam operator is going to be doing this when i was a grip and i was like you know what yeah i am and i did so i think it's long as you follow your dreams as long as you do what you want you're going to succeed you know and don't let people you know along the way crush that because there's a lot of people that are haters and they will try to crush that
1: yeah and they don't go away i'm guessing they, they just grow in numbers
0: <laughs> yeah there's always people there so
1: yeah awesome well i I really appreciate you taking some time i know you've been uh busy working and grinding but i really appreciate you taking some time to talk and uh and share a little bit i really appreciate it thanks
0: for listening to the film school podcast if you appreciated the content on the show don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode